This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Saving the summer. This is indeed a good day and one that I've been waiting for for a long time. The province lays out a comprehensive reopening plan to bring us back together. The timeline for a return to travel. This is exactly what we've been asking for, these measured uh, steps. Where you'll have the freedom to roam and when. And a grisly discovery. It looked like from a distance, um, it looked like human hands. A mystery dumped on the side of the road. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And of course, we start with the news we've all been waiting for. Premier John Horgan and health officials unveiling the province's restart plan. Four steps to bring us back together. And here's a look at some of the key points. Starting today, in-person dining is back and outdoor recreational sports games are allowed. Step two begins June 15th at the earliest and includes travel across the province and outdoor gatherings up to 50 people. By July 1st, we should be returning to normal social gatherings. And step four, September 7th at the earliest, we're looking at the return of concerts and sporting events. So obviously that light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter. And Richard Zussman has a closer look at the reopening and how we'll see that gradual return to normal. It's a path to return to normal. I'm excited and confident that we in BC have taken the steps that we need to get to a place where we can see the end of this pandemic. That light at the end of the tunnel is getting closer and it's getting stronger. British Columbia outlining a four-step plan to slowly move to a post-COVID life. Step one starts now. It's based on 60% vaccination and stable COVID case numbers and hospitalizations. It allows outdoor social gatherings of up to 10 people and indoor social gatherings with up to five people or one other household. Youth and adult rec sports can start for games outdoors. This is indeed a good day and one that I've been waiting for for a long time, as I'm sure many people in British Columbia have too. But this plan is a careful and four-step plan to help bring us back together. Then on to step two, at earliest June 15th, and only if the province gets past one dose of vaccine for 60% of adults and sees hospitalizations and cases decline. At that point, outdoor gatherings can go up to 50 people. Indoor gatherings remain up to five or one other household. An encouragement at that point to travel anywhere in BC. Banquet halls, movie theaters, playhouses opening with a capacity of 50 people. This will be based on the data, not the dates, and we'll be learning as we go. If things continue to improve, step three will come at the beginning of July. A need for 70% of adults vaccinated at least once and cases low with hospitalizations dropping. Only six weeks away from the possibility of a return to normal indoor and outdoor social gatherings, kids having sleepovers, 
travel Canada-wide, and indoor and outdoor dining with no limits. It means an opening of bingo halls, casinos, and nightclubs, indoor and outdoor organized events growing in capacity, opening the doors for outdoor weddings, and an end to the state of emergency and dropping the indoor mask mandate where we will no longer need to have the restrictions of the pandemic on our society and we'll be able to move to having masks what they were when we had low case rates years a year ago years ago it feels like September could bring the final step if vaccinations are over 70% for one dose and cases and hospitalizations remain low we go back to normal Social contacts, hugs, handshakes, back to work, concerts, sporting events, and large organized gatherings. But what if we don't hit those targets? Going forward and then uh, slamming back again is not what we want to do. We've seen that in other jurisdictions. We're confident that Dr. Henry has given us the map. It's a good day, or at least it looks like it'll be a good summer. Uh, Richard Zussman joins us now with more. Richard, uh, as you mentioned, restaurants have been given the green light today for outdoor and indoor dining, up to six people. And we can see right behind you there, uh, businesses are adapting. Yeah, they sure are, Sophie. It's something we haven't seen since the end of March. People dining inside BC restaurants. There's also a change. Before, you were only allowed to eat indoors with people in your own household. That has now changed. You can eat with friends and family, up to six people at a table. And clearly, the industry very excited about this change. Ecstatic to get back to indoor dining. I mean, outside the terraces are wonderful when the weather's good, but this is British Columbia. No guarantees. No, we need to be inside, inside, inside. And of course, having the street is a wonderful development. So things are, the future looks bright. That's one new thing that British Columbians can now do, dine indoors. Also, youth and adult can play sports again. So tonight, you could play some softball and then go to a restaurant and bar and actually have a meal with your teammates. The first time British Columbians can do this in months and months and months, Sophie and Chris. Nice to see the always animated Howie Siegel. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, appreciate the enthusiasm for sure. All right, the reopening roadmap also calls for the gradual easing of travel restrictions, but not everyone is happy. As Ted Chernecki reports, the plan doesn't do much for the Metro Vancouver tourism sector, which is losing another summer. That's one side. Emily, you can hold on to that. There should be some happy campers today, as you can now travel anywhere within your region for whatever reason while only essential travel is allowed between regions. And by June 15th, anyone anywhere in BC can travel anywhere in the province. No one's happier than the travel and tourism industry. We're very pleased with what we see in the, in the roadmap right now. Uh, and as I said, this is exactly what we've been asking for, these measured uh, steps that hopefully will build a confidence uh, for um, residents and, and for travelers in a very measured way. If we stay on track, by July, we'll be able to welcome family and friends from outside the province. And by September 7th, there could be unrestricted travel anywhere in Canada. Hopefully later on in the summer, we will get some business uh, for Canada. Um, definitely we're booking already for 2022 for other parts of the world, Europe and everything. So hopefully this will be a nice push locally. The big downside is the lower mainland. 
Last summer, we could travel freely within B.C., but it was a one-way affair. Lower mainlanders poured out of the city, and hardly anyone came the other way. Greater Vancouver relies almost entirely on international travelers, large people-gathering events like festivals and conventions. Without those people, and it will be a similar, if not the same situation again in 2021, even with this roadmap, uh, what we're worried about is those urban destinations will again uh, lose out on uh, any business that any British Columbians uh, might, might offer up. And then there's the big question, who's still around and available to work in the service industry? We have lost so many positions within this industry over the last uh, 18 months. So this new four-step plan is great news, something business has been asking for for months. The other questions remaining, is it too much too soon or too little too late? Many businesses closed permanently already have the answer. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, 64.6% of all adults have received their first dose of vaccine in B.C. as our seven-day rolling average now drops to 366 new cases per day. Here's a look at the latest numbers for our province. We have 289 new cases. That brings our total to 142,636, with 3,782 of those cases currently active. 301 people are in hospital, 93 are in the ICU, and sadly, one more person has died. Keith Qualdry is live in Victoria right now with more on this restart, which health officials, Keith, have said really is dependent on a number of factors, vaccinations being mm -hmm. key among them. And we know there's an issue right now with one of our key vaccines. Yeah, it has to do with Moderna. It has to do with the second dose. So increasingly, much of our focus will shift to the second doses because so many people are about to get their second doses. But here's a potential problem. Well, about a half a million people got Moderna. Only well, 40,000 of them have had the second dose. The trouble is we got 132,000 doses last week of Moderna, but there are no scheduled shipments of Moderna coming in anytime soon. So people looking for a second dose of Moderna, Moderna may be out of luck. Dr. Bonnie Henry today saying it is a concern, but it's not an unsolvable one. Yes, it is a concern about Moderna, um, but we do have, uh, we've been working with the National Advisory Committee and uh, the recommendations about um, the, the being able to provide a second dose with uh, the same platform, so a messenger RNA vaccine gives us the, the flexibility. And this is because we now have had safety data for many, many months. Um, so we know that uh, people who got Moderna first can get a second dose of Pfizer if needed. All right, Keith, uh, a lot of people were watching that briefing today. And one of the most mm -hmm. special moments was this issue about hugging. Dr. Henry <laughs> saying that we're missing these social connections. And she had an interesting pitch for the premier on that topic of hugging. Yeah, I've been to every one of these briefings, more than 200 of them now, I think. And I have to say, today was a long one. But there also almost was a sense of giddiness amongst uh, Dr. Henry and even Premier John Horgan. Dr. Henry today pointed out hugs are a big part of social uh, discourse and, and relationships and has a suggestion for the Premier when it comes to a special day. I'm thinking by the time we get to July, if things continue in the way that we expect, um, that we'll be able to... Um, hug our neighbors again if they're if they're people who like to be hugged i mean we have to understand that not everybody does but it's one of the things that i'm missing most in this pandemic and um i i've been trying to pitch to the premier that we should have bc hug day in july when we when we get to that point where we're where we can take our masks off 
So no response yet from the Premier about a hug day in July, but it's interesting. Uh, invite people to go online, check out this chart, which really shows in great detail how our summer is going to open up like I think few people imagined just a few weeks ago. Hug day might get some widespread support, I'm imagining. Yeah. All right. All right, Keith, thanks very much for that. Well, today's reopening plan also clears the way for a gradual return to normal for sports and fitness. Kylie Stanton has the rundown of what we can do now and what the all-important summer season looks like. Nice job. Beautiful. Lovely. The biggest obstacle kids in sport have had to overcome throughout this pandemic has nothing to do with getting through a course. Instead, it's only been drills. No games, no parents cheering them on. Dr. Henry? But that's all about to change. That light at the end of the tunnel is getting closer and it's getting stronger and brighter. Effective immediately, local outdoor games and practices for all ages are allowed with no spectators, as well as low-intensity indoor fitness classes at a limited capacity. As early as June 15th, that broadens out to include indoor team games and practices for all ages without spectators. But there can be up to 50 spectators for outdoor sports. And high-intensity indoor fitness classes can operate at a reduced capacity. Come July 1st, all indoor fitness classes can operate at an increased capacity and there will be a limited number of spectators for indoor sports. And finally, in early September, we can expect increased spectators for both indoor and outdoor sports and a return of normal competitions with safety plans in place. So this is the vision that we are seeing for the next little while. As word spreads through the sector... That's very good news for our participants, obviously. There's a collective sigh of relief. Really excited for uh, parents to come out. They've all been anticipating it and uh, really looking forward to it. So it'll be nice for the kids too. You know, they like people watching them. So it'll be great. It's just been so hard not having an end date. So now that we do, I, I feel very positive and very light. And I know the community is thrilled. After so long, it's almost hard to imagine things returning to normal. But the government is optimistic by fall. You should be able to sit in the stands and cheer on your team. We've been talking to the Lions, we've been talking to the Whitecaps, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to get there. But I, again, we'll have to leave those discussions for, uh, for the, those franchise with public health and with the government. Professional or just getting started, there's no doubt players are ready to trade in the drills for some action, hoping they never have to go back to conquering another hurdle like this one ever again. Kylie Stanton, Global News. <laughs> Going to a movie, going to a big wedding, all things that are back on the table with today's timeline announcement eventually. And Aaron MacArthur has the details. Getting the Rio back up and running, priority one for owner Corinne Leah. It will be open as a sports bar later this week, but by June 15th, the Broadway theater can be a theater again. Up to 50 people can watch a film. By July, the restrictions are expected to be eliminated altogether. Honestly, I'm overwhelmed. It, it's, I'm still processing it. In terms of events, the restart starts slow. Right now, indoor gatherings are allowed up to 10 people. And if the event is outside, 50 people are permitted. But by the middle of June, those 50 people should be allowed at indoor venues. And by July, weddings and banquet halls can operate at reasonably normal levels. For wedding planners and caterers, uncertainty has been replaced by an unfamiliar anxiety. People ready to pull the trigger on booking their dates. The reality is, though, the government's plan has come too late. 
for many people to salvage their summer plans. I think that this update will give so much more confidence for people booking for next year. We've been hiring up, um, crossing our fingers that it's the right thing to do. Um, and now basically it's the pedal to the metal. The caveat in all of this is the data. If the numbers hold and the vaccination rates increase as expected, then all of what was announced Tuesday is possible. By the fall, health authorities expect no restrictions on in-person attendance of concerts or sports events. Hopefully, watching the Canucks maybe even get into the playoffs next year. For BC's largest fair, Tuesday's announcement has provided a lifeline. The PNE had already announced it will not be going ahead this August, but the plan makes provisions for fairs and festivals later in the summer. Organizers aren't sure what can actually be arranged by the end of August. But something is better than nothing. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, Vancouver police say they handed out more than $11,000 in fines when they broke up a party early Sunday morning. Police were called to the apartment at 1200 West Georgia at about 1 in the morning for multiple reports of a loud party. Those inside refused to open the door and police needed to secure a search warrant before going inside. Police say the host of the party was issued with a $2,300 ticket for hosting a non-compliant event, while the six partygoers were fined $575 each. We have made it very clear over this year and a bit that this has been going on that we will not tolerate these types of incidents, uh, but people are still continuing to deliberately um, disobey the public health orders. So when somebody does blatantly disregard this um, and puts other people at risk, even though we've come so close and we are so close, uh, we will still use any legal avenue that we can uh, to hold these people accountable. Some terrifying moments at a courthouse in Vancouver. The attack that left witnesses stunned and one woman injured and what might have set off the violence next on the news hour. Disaster at a wolf attraction on Vancouver Island. What happened that sent one of the owners to hospital? And later in sports, a BC kayaker paddling his way to Tokyo while staying very close to home. That's later. Right now, though, a bizarre and violent attack involving two women unfolded in a surprising place today. Yeah, the altercation happened inside a courtroom in Supreme Court in Vancouver, sending one woman to hospital and raising some questions about court security. Romina Dea has more on what might have set off the violence. Blood everywhere in courtroom 32, which is now behind police tape. After a shocking incident I've never encountered in 20 plus years of reporting. According to sources, a woman walked into BC Supreme Court with a fish knife and a hammer in her purse Tuesday morning. The court clerk had just opened the doors. A contempt of court hearing was set to begin at 10 o'clock in an ongoing civil suit involving two women in their 50s who barely know each other. It's alleged that one person stabbed another person uh, a number of times, causing serious and life-threatening injuries. Uh, a staff member at the courthouse did hit the panic alarm, which caused the sheriffs to arrive. Sheriffs were able to take custody of the person who allegedly did the, uh, the assault uh, and hold on to that person until VPD arrived. According to court records, Catherine Shen and Jing Lu have been engaged in a verbal war on social media for more than a decade. The battle escalating after the women filed lawsuits against one another for defamation, breach of privacy and emotional distress. 
Global News has learned Chen has been arrested and Liu is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries. The incident raising serious questions about public safety and staff safety, given there's no mandatory security check and weapons check for every person entering the courthouse, as is the case in other courthouses across the province. Vancouver police are recommending charges, but they are not going into details. Romina Dea, Global News. A ministry spokesperson for the Attorney General said in a statement that it will be reviewing the facts of this incident to determine what, if any, further security measures should be taken. Homicide investigators have identified the victim of Saturday's fatal shooting in Coquitlam. 42-year-old Mir Ali Hussein was found on the ground with gunshot wounds lying next to his vehicle in an alley near Hart and Henderson. He died at the scene. Hussein was known to police, although his death is not being linked to the Lower Mainland gang conflict at this time. IHIT is appealing for more information about the timeline leading up to his death, as well as releasing this photo of his vehicle, a white 2020 Toyota Highlander. After the shooting, a stolen 2002 red Buick Century was seen leaving the scene with two people inside. That vehicle was found the next day in Langley. Anyone with information on the victim or the vehicles or the shooting is being asked to contact IHIT. On the anniversary of George Floyd's death at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke about what is being done to help black people in Canada. Our government is working with black communities across the country to make sure nobody is left behind. We will continue to take real action to fight systemic racism and create more opportunities for black Canadians and for everyone. Trudeau called Floyd's death a tragedy, saying it's a reminder that too many people are living with anti-black racism and injustice everywhere, including here in Canada. Coming up, a disturbing sight by the side of the road. The shock factor kicked in for a couple seconds. What a shoe swap woman found that has conservation officers investigating. And the little dogs and other animals seized from a breeder who obviously hasn't learned from past mistakes. Double trouble at the Massey Tunnel. Just cleared a crash southbound past the south end near the workshop, but cruisers are still on scene to an accident inside the tunnel itself. You're going to see big backups in both directions as a result. Sussex Insurance are your auto insurance experts. Get more, save more with Stratford Private Auto. Ask for details on your next renewal. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. A 69-year-old woman is in hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries after being attacked by wolf hybrids. It happened at a rural property south of Nanaimo. The three animals were housed inside a secured pen, the woman was attacked when she entered that enclosure. Her husband managed to pull her from the cage and she was flown to Victoria by air ambulance. The three animals had been destroyed. The animals are a mixture of a wolf and a domesticated dog. They've had these in a secure pen for many years. She went in for unknown reasons, probably to feed them, and she's done this hundreds of times before. Because the animals were kept as pets, the investigation is being treated as a domestic animal attack. 
A warning now. The images in our next story might be disturbing. A B.C. family made a gruesome discovery this week. A large pile of animal parts dumped by the side of a rural road. Among them, dozens of bear paws. As Catherine Urquhart reports, efforts are now underway to track down whoever was behind this troubling act. A video shows the disturbing discovery in the North Shoe Swap, where dozens of bear parts were dumped mostly paws that had been declawed and skinned. Very disturbing. I can't believe anybody would do that. Just not normal. It's gross. Truly atrocious that this is happening to our bears because in our traditions and our culture, bears are like land protectors. The parts were found Sunday morning by local hunter Brandy Hansen, who was out for a morning walk with her three children. We saw fur. There were some paws that were declawed. With the fur still on them, there's other ones that had the skin, like the hide removed, that were declawed. Um, And so uh, we went and we looked over in the culvert and it was just paws upon paws. Um, There was some skulls in there as well. BC Conservation Service released a tweet saying it is investigating a report of a disposal of wildlife parts, including several bear paws near Anglemont. Conservation officers attended the site in the Anglemont Mountain area along Forest Service Road 695 and collected evidence. They're requesting help from the public. Oh, I just thought it was horrible. I, I don't know how that could ever happen in an area like this. It's not locals, at least not that I know of anybody that's done that. I'm hoping people who know anything will come forward. Whoever is doing this needs to be held accountable and we need to put a stop to it and There's a lot of people out there that know something, and I'm encouraging them to come forward. In B.C., poaching carries fines up to $50,000 and six months in jail. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Mount Frome on Vancouver's North Shore has been reopened to hikers and mountain bikers. Access to the mountain was closed last Friday after an aggressive bear took a swipe at some hikers. The Conservation Officer Service says that despite multiple days of searching, they weren't able to locate the animal. People heading up the mountain are being told to be cautious, pack bear spray and make a lot of noise and calmly leave the area if you do see a bear. Up next, scandal in a prominent hockey program. The old school behavior that got a coach kicked out of the Burnaby Winter Club. And in Consumer Matters, how some are still being fooled by the old timeshare exit scam. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Burnaby RCMP are investigating a disturbing on-ice incident at the Burnaby Winter Club. The club says a coach was immediately fired after a physical altercation with a player. Grace Key has the details. Burnaby RCMP confirmed they did get a call from somebody at Burnaby Winter Club on the day of the alleged assault, and that was on Wednesday, May 19th. So it's alleged that an assistant coach grabbed a player's jersey and then cross-checked him during a team practice. The player was not injured and did not want to provide a statement to RCMP. Video of the incident was also handed over to police. That is being reviewed. Currently, there are no charges against the coach at this time. The CEO of BC Hockey says these incidents are rare and its member team took immediate action. Uh, in this particular case, it sounds as though um, they took action. Um, they circled the wagons with everybody who was involved, made sure that uh, everybody was taken care of and supported um, and took swift action in terms of uh, um, you know, uh, uh, taking care of the situation on the ground. The Burnaby Winter Club sent a letter to Academy families. It reads in part, BWC is taking this situation very seriously. The coach's contract with BWC was immediately terminated and the incident has been reported to Burnaby RCMP. We assure you, player safety is our highest priority and there is zero tolerance for adults laying hands on players. Burnaby Winter Club did send us a written statement. It reads, the health and wellness of our players is our paramount priority at Burnaby Winter Club. The internal issues that happened earlier this month were promptly addressed after they occurred. And at this time, Burnaby Winter Club will have no further comment on this matter. In Burnaby, Grace Key, Global News. Getting into a timeshare is often a lot easier than getting out of it. And now with pandemic travel restrictions and ongoing maintenance fees for a place you can't visit, many people are looking for an exit strategy. And where there's desperation, there are fraudsters. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on how you can protect yourself. And Thanks, Sophie. Timeshare exit schemes aren't new, but it appears that more and more of them are surfacing during the pandemic. The Better Business Bureau says seniors tend to be the most vulnerable to these scams, but there are some telltale signs to avoid falling prey. A big buffet when we got there and they you know, champagne, you, you name it, they treat you real good. For Mary Michaels and her partner, Charlie Cromar, the lure of vacationing to destinations like the Bahamas, Punta Cana, and Mexico seemed like a good investment. They purchased a vacation club membership similar to a timeshare. But in the last five years, Mary and Charlie say they've used it once, only to be left strapped with a contract and expensive monthly fees. The frustration is you can't get out of it. And look, it's a city bank. Recently, Mary received an unsolicited solicited phone call from a real estate company claiming it was representing a Japanese corporate client looking to buy back timeshares. The couple was offered $64,000 U.S. I had my suspicion, but, you know, the guy sounded really good on the phone. We were talking to him, you know, real cool, calm. The real estate company put Mary and Charlie in touch with a third party, which drew up a contract showing the funds from the supposed Japanese buyer had been deposited into an account. But before that money could be released, there was another request. Mary and Charlie were instructed to wire $5,000 U.S. supposedly for a Mexican tax ID to complete the transaction. That's when Mary says she got suspicious and called her daughter Linda. My first reaction was, uh, I believe this is a fraud. Then they took the 5050 we're going to pay. Linda started digging, taking a closer look at her mom's paperwork. The documentation they provided her as far as the amount that they were willing to purchase the timeshare for 
was a large sum of money, which again, to me, that was a large uh, red flag, especially this day and age with COVID and timeshares and nobody really being able to use timeshares. The Better Business Bureau says other red flags associated with timeshare exit schemes include unsolicited contact from a buyer, requests to wire a one-time upfront payment to cover expenses and transfer fees, requests to stop paying your maintenance fees to the resort and redirecting those payments to the exit company, and tempting promises to get out of the timeshare quickly. Fortunately for Mary and Charlie, they never did wire transfer the $5,000 thanks to Linda's investigating and their local bank. They asked us, well, how do you, how well do you know this person? These people, yeah. These people, and, you know, well, we don't really know them, but, you know, and she goes, I would look into this more. What a beautiful day, look at this. While Mary and Charlie still have their timeshare, they're happy they didn't lose more money and experience their sharing with the hope of warning others. And when it comes to finding a reputable timeshare exit or liquidation company, do extensive research. Don't take anything at face value. Stay away from companies that reach out to you and shop around, keeping mindful of the red flags we mentioned in this story. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. More than a dozen dogs have been seized from a property near Kamloops. The BCSPCA says 16 Pomeranians and Yorkshire Terrier cross puppies are now in their care. They, along with a three-month-old Labrador retriever and several chickens, were kept in overcrowded and unsanitary containers. The SPCA says a woman was breeding the puppies and selling them for up to $2,000 each. In 2005, she was convicted of animal cruelty charges and was banned from owning animals, but that ban has since expired. The SPCA will be recommending charges. The puppies are currently unavailable for adoption. In Health Matters tonight, a new poll about the pandemic and the government's response shows a surge in optimism with BC leading the way. The Research Co. poll found 55% of Canadians think the worst of COVID-19 is behind us. Just over half of those surveyed, 51%, say they are satisfied with how the federal government has handled the pandemic. British Columbians top the country when asked about how we think our provincial government has done, with 62% expressing approval. Still ahead, an athlete grinding to get into the Olympics. A BC skateboarder with dreams of making it to Tokyo, when most athletes are well past their prime. Also tonight, at a time when many are struggling with anti-Asian hate, an act of love for a Chinatown attraction. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The planned Chinatown Storytelling Center is getting a major financial boost. BMO is donating $1 million to the Vancouver Chinatown Foundation for the 4,000-square-foot center, which will take over the former BMO branch on Pender Street. The new center is set to open in the fall with exhibits dedicated to the story of Vancouver's Chinatown and its residents. BMO was one of the first financial institutions in Canada to allow people of Chinese descent to open bank accounts. And the manager of that Pender Street branch was the first bank manager of Asian descent in Canada. Amazing to think. Uh, okay, what a beautiful afternoon uh, with a little bit of sunshine there, but mm -hmm. uh, I get the sense things might change, and Christy's got the details here now. <laughs> 
I sure do, Chris. Yeah, so we are certainly starting to see a little bit more cloud cover. Uh, so that is the change that you're mentioning. We have a very slight chance of an isolated shower through the remainder of the day today. And certainly as we head into tomorrow, first I want a little talk about uh, the thunderstorms that are in through the interior regions right now. Let's have a look at them. We had a number of them through the Kelowna, uh, Kelowna area traveling up towards uh, Vernon. A number of them also near Kamloops. If you have any photos or video, please send them to us. And also a ton of action uh, from Quinell right up towards Prince George, where we're going to see heavy rain, likely significant hail, and certainly lightning and thunder. If you hear thunder, head indoors to keep yourself safe. Now, overnight, that will all settle down. And now we're watching a major system that's going to move on to the north and central coast tomorrow morning and then shift down across Vancouver Island in the afternoon. Metro Vancouver will be mainly cloudy and mainly dry, but by tomorrow evening and certainly into Thursday morning, we are going to see wet weather and it will likely be the heaviest rain that we've seen in some time now with potentially up to 50 millimeters for some areas. Interior regions though, sunshine for you tomorrow. It's really not going to be till Thursday that you'll see that. South coast though impacted tomorrow, whereas for Metro Vancouver, it may not happen until the evening hour. So wet Wednesday night and Thursday, as I mentioned, with potentially up to 50 millimeters along the mountains up towards Howe Sound as well, which is significant compared to the very minimal amount of rain we've seen recently. Beautiful shot with a rainbow uh, looking out down towards the falls there. This is Cannon Falls in the uh, Wells Gray Provincial Park. Thank you to Jamie Marie for that one. Beautiful shot. All, all right. Thanks very much, Jamie. Thanks, Christy. All right, Squire is here now. I don't know if you heard Dr. Henry talking about we might get to go to Canucks games in the fall. That would be so much better. They're in just, the I mean, watching all these hockey games with no fans, there's no Atmo. There's no Atmo. That's why you see some of the games in the States now with full crowds. It looks a little freaky, but it sounds great and looks great. Uh, J.T. Miller's agent felt the need to say today that J.T. doesn't want to be traded. Canucks attack now. In is Miller. He beats and he scores. J.T. Miller. So if there was any worry, Canuck Nation, J.T. Miller wants to come back and play in Vancouver next season. And we'd love to have him. Also tonight, skateboarding into the Olympics for an athlete almost twice the age of some of his competition. Well, despite a less than stellar season, the Canucks have a good core group of players that a lot of people would like to see stick around. Well, I think they will for a while. I mean, especially the young guys. Of course, they still have to sign Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson in the summer. Uh, perhaps it was how visibly upset he would get when things didn't go well this season with the Canucks and also a fake quote on Twitter. Whatever it was, J.T. Miller's agent felt it necessary to say his man does not want to be traded by the Canucks. J.T. Miller has never discussed wanting out of Vancouver. In fact, he praised Travis Green and thinks the Canucks have given him more chances than previous teams, and he's thankful for that. He had 46 points in 53 games this past season, and his contract runs two more years with the Canucks. I don't know if you can accurately compare the Edmonton Oilers to the Vancouver Canucks, but one thing both of these teams are missing is a good bottom six forward group. It's one of the reasons the Oilers were kicked out of the playoffs in four straight games by Winnipeg. And speaking of out and Edmonton, 
Wayne Gretzky has left the Oilers as their vice chairman to apparently become an analyst for hockey on TNT's network next season. But Connor McDavid said today, despite another playoff disaster in Edmonton, he is not thinking of walking in the Oilers' owner's office and telling him to trade him if things don't improve. That's that's not the case uh, at all. Um, you know, we have a, we have a great core here. You know, I think uh, you know it feels like we're we're we're, we're light years away, but it, but but we're a lot closer than 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 I think uh, you know it feels today. Gary Price of Montreal trying to tie the series with the Maple Leafs. Winner of this plays Winnipeg in round two. This is nice passing by Toronto. Kerfoot, Galchenyuk, William Nylander, who's having quite a series against the Habs. one nothing in the second. Then Galchenyuk will set up Jason Spezza. The old guys are scoring for the Leafs tonight. Spezza will get one. Joe Thornton has one. And it's 3 nothing in the third for the Leafs. Actually, it's 2-1 in the series for Toronto. Not 3-1, but it will be if it keeps up. Um, If the Olympics do in fact happen, you'll get a chance to see something rather rare. A member of our kayaking team who's from B.C., Brian Melfizi of Maple Ridge, is the first from this province to qualify for an Olympic spot in 33 years. And he did it by staying true to his roots. When Brian Malfizi was 11 years old, he first started paddling at Wanick Lake in Maple Ridge. The lake is just a kilometer down from my elementary school when I started. So it was just something to do outside and have fun. And it didn't take long for Malfizi to get good at it, really good. But in Canada, Olympic level kayakers don't usually paddle on BC lakes. Like the big clubs are centered out east, like Nova Scotia's on Quebec and Ontario are by far the three biggest provinces. Our national team centers are all based out of those three provinces and all the competitions are out there. What's also out there is Malfizi's partner in the K1000 sprint, Quebec's Vincent Jordanet. And despite being around 4,000 kilometers apart, having the same coach and training regimen bridges that rather big gap. A large portion of the training is actually just done in singles, so in our K1s, so it's easy in that sense to be apart but like when we're together we obviously try and maximize the k2 that we do so we'll go two three times a week it's a setup that allows malfizi to spend more time where he's most comfortable on wanick lake i can paddle you around in bc i have a great training group here i have all the coaches i need and a support system so i just kind of like bargained with them and made a deal that like i'll come for all the training camps and everything but i need to come home. Well, who doesn't love that shot? Okay, Bianca Andreescu, Strasbourg Open against uh, Marina Zanevska. And Andreescu looks solid here. Took the opening set 6-1. Also took the second set 6-4 and was on her way to the quarterfinals, but then she announced she had to pull out of the tournament because she suffered an abdominal tear in the second set. It's really set. controlled aggression from Andrescu. She has just had a tough time with injury after injury Get since winning the U.S. Open. Oh, uh, Canadian basketball Wiggins? confirming that He's Andrew Wiggins will play right. in Victoria later this summer. And that's Olympic qualifying. So uh, Wiggins coming off a solid season in Golden State, averaged 18.6 points per game for the Warriors, will try to help Canada qualify for Tokyo.
And that's good news because they can use all the help. There you go. He's got game. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a Delta skateboarder hoping to turn his Olympic dreams into reality. Delta man is hoping to become an Olympian for the first time, despite being in his mid-30s. Ryan Desenzo is a world-renowned skateboarder, and his timing couldn't be better with the sport about to make its Olympic debut. As Jay Durant reports, Ryan's come a long way from riding the makeshift rails in his family's driveway. It's easy to see why Ryan Desenzo is such a huge online star. The wow factor exists in almost everything he does. Like what some call the biggest kickflip ever. You see a video of it and you don't really realize how big or difficult it is. It's nerve-wracking drama just knowing the fine line between success and disaster. So imagine how his family has felt all these years. I cringe when I see those. This is the skate park in North Delta that Ryan helped build. They might put wax on it, they might scrape wax off. Helping to raise money for the city when he was young so he and his brother had a place to skate after outgrowing the setup in the driveway. They'd take the leaf blower from home and they'd use like three tanks of gas to blow the whole skate park off because they didn't want to have any obstacles to slow them down or get in their way. Qualifications are soon, and Ryan is hoping to make his Olympic debut at the age of 34. It would be the pinnacle for a kid who first fell in love with the sport watching some turtle power. They were always super cool to me, so they were riding through the sewers, and I just thought maybe one day I can find a full type to skate. Yes! The Slam City Jam 2006. He's been a pro for well over a decade, landed on numerous magazine covers, and won multiple gold at the X Games. And this summer in Tokyo, he hopes to put on a show and maybe help change the perception of skateboarding once and for all. Back in the day, it was uh, it was just the the old lady just sweeping us out, kicking us out with the broomstick. You know what I mean? You know, I'm hoping that this will help change that whole mentality a little bit. Durant, Global News. I remember there used to be a sign, I think if you drove down Powell Street, on a side of a building it said, skateboarding is not a crime. Oh, I kind of remember that. I don't know why they needed to say that, but it isn't a crime. Definitely no. going mainstream yeah. now. With Olympic the, sport now. Yeah, exactly. So Olympic sport. Between Ryan and, and Brian Malfizi, we got a lot of people to cheer, cheer for if the games go ahead. Uh, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Thanks. So just a slight chance of showers tonight and tomorrow morning. Mainly cloudy, mainly dry throughout the day. But by tomorrow night, yes, the rain is on its way. It's going right. to be very wet. We're ready. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Good night, all.